Trembler of a shot. Hey guys, welcome to my first episode of the podcast. Uh, today we have our first guest, Gavin, who is a former Chelsea FC and Newcastle United Premier League midfielder and striker. Uh, he's played for a lot of pro teams, including QPR, Gillingham, Bournemouth, and Charlton Athletic. He's published a book, worked in broadcasting, become a father, and is now actually a pastor. Uh, he's had quite the wild career path. Um, Gavin was the first Chelsea FC player to actually score a hat-trick in a Premier League match. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, and I'm looking forward to hear a little bit more about your journey. Thanks for having me, Mitch. So uh, the first thing I actually want to do, just because I'm such an avid soccer fan, I've got a couple rapid-fire questions for you. Don't have to go into too much detail. Um, but what's the game that sticks out the most in your mind and your favorite goal? Oh, in my career? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the game that would probably stick at most in my mind was the semi-final that I played for Chelsea against Luton Town in 1994, semi-final of the FA Cup at Wembley. Um, and we won 2-0, and I scored both goals, and that propelled us into the FA Cup final uh, for the first time in 24 years for Chelsea. Jeez. So it was a quite, quite the moment, you know, to, to get there after all those uh, years, but also to be the player that scored the two goals. No kidding. So that would be um, maybe the, you know, a combination of the goals and the game. But what one other thing I'll mention is in that same season, um, we beat Manchester United in the league. <laughs> yeah, the put it in. And it was 1-0 each time, and I scored both goals in, that, in those games. So to, to beat Man United, to do the double of them, is unusual and an achievement to uh, be the guy that scored the goal each time, uh, the winning goal. And you scored against Schmeichel, right? Against Schmeichel. Oh, man. That's a dagger to my heart because I think I already told you I'm a big Man United fan, so uh, I'm sure you're, you don't feel the same way I do about the club, but, uh, yeah. They're doing not bad this season at the moment. I'm enjoying it, definitely. Um, so what's the best player that you've played against? And then also, you, like, who would you consider one of the best teammates that you've worked with? Okay, so in I played against you know, a lot of great players. In my era, the best player in the Premier League uh, that graced the Premier League was probably Eric Cantona. Yeah. United, um, French, known French international player. But in the 1990s, when Manchester United dominated, obviously the Premier League uh, in that time, um, he was the man. Mm. Uh, and obviously Beckham, Scholes. Ryan Giggs, they were all coming through and doing great yeah. things. But for me, Cantona had that presence, that genius. And if you speak to the other players around uh, that time in the Manchester United camp, they would say uh, Cantona. Played with, um, would be interesting, I played with Ruud Hullitz, who was the Dutch uh, Dutchman who, who was World Footballer of the Year. I played Gianfranco Zola, lots of great players. But Glenn Hoddle was the best of a lot in terms of his football mind hmm. um it was just like nothing else so glenn hoddle was was my manager my head coach but he was player manager for the first year that i was at chelsea 
Um, and Glenn obviously been a legend for Tottenham Hotspur in, in England and played at Monaco under a young Arsene Wenger uh, as his manager in those days. But if he'd been Brazilian, Glenn would have had 150 caps for his country. It was just that England played a different style of football in his era that maybe limited him to about 50, 60 caps. But um, Glenn was a genius. Hmm. That's cool. Very neat. Uh, and which club of all the clubs that you played with, which one was your favorite? Oh, now, now you're asking me. Um, I think I had my my most free scoring days at Newcastle United. Mm-hmm. Um, I played my biggest games at Chelsea, you know, FA Cup finals, European Cup semi-finals, and so on. Uh, and then I had my longest time at Queens Park Rangers. I started my career there and finished my career there. So ten years of my life was spent at Queens Park Rangers. So it's great love for the for the club. Um, so, so it was very difficult to choose uh, between all of them. I probably had more mem- most memories of QPR because of the, the, the amount of years I was there. But special days at Newcastle, phenomenal fans up there. Yeah. And Chelsea was just a, a huge powerhouse of a club that I was involved in terms of the building blocks uh, of, of where they got to today. Obviously, it wasn't like that in my day, but uh, we started to turn things around in my era. Cool. Very neat. Um, so this podcast, it's designed to kind of interview some successful people in their respective industries. And then in order to kind of hear a little bit about the journey, uh, and then hopefully kind of see some patterns of recognized success in multiple industries. Uh, and I want to be able to share that with lots of different people. Uh, so a tricky question right off the bat for you, how would you personally define success? Well, personally define success, um, well, because I'm a Christian, I would define a, a successful life as as one where you know who made you and what purpose you've been made for. Um, and as a Christian, that is to, to, to worship God and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then fulfilling your role as a man or woman uh, within that. And that means that, you know, you work hard at whatever you do uh, and you can do that to honor God, but also honor those that you work for. So that the Christians should be the best workmen, students, uh, husbands, wives, children, uh, whatever sphere or vocation you're in. And therefore you can attain a success, whatever you do and a satisfaction of whatever you do. Um, success isn't all about money. Uh, it isn't all about having the material things. It's success, which leads to true joy and true happiness, is all about knowing who made you, the purpose for which you've been made, and the blueprint that the the Bible gives you for for living. And that's where, you know, true success and true joy intersect. And they are not fleeting, they are ongoing uh, and can't be sort of taken away from you. Cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the journey for yourself growing up, like kind of your childhood, how you were raised, what kind of family were you raised in, and then mm-hmm. a build up into the Premier League? What were kind of some of the the significant moments for you? Yeah, so I was raised in a in a footballing family. My father Keith was a professional uh, footballer or soccer player uh, for Charlton Athletic. He was in they were in the second tier. Um, for 17 years. In fact, he played more times as an outfield player than anyone else in Charlton's history. Uh, he was the first substitute ever used in English league football. So on the day that 
they decided to have the 12th man. Um, the Football League decided my father was on the bench that day and there was an injury after 10 minutes or so and he came on, 1965 it was, and he was clocked as the first substitute. It was a tri trivial pursuit question, that in, in European trivial pursuit. Oh, cool. Um, and then he went to, on to make over 600 appearances. Um, so I grew up, uh, mum, dad, at home and a sister, and so a good solid home life. Um, uh, but I grew up around the smell of the dressing room and the going to the stadium on a Saturday and with my dad as this great example, a great coach and teacher too. Um, and so although I worked hard at school and enjoyed my school life, I went and always had an eye on trying to be a footballer. And um, I think it was evident early on that I had some ability. It wasn't the best or the strongest, uh, the biggest. Um, but as time went on, I, I got into the, my school team and then, my district and county team. Mm. Uh, and then at that level, when you're around 14, it used to be, now they start a lot, even a lot uh, earlier. But when you are uh, around about 14 years old, the, the, the professional clubs start to watch you then. And there's the scouts are at the games if you start to get representative honours like I did. Um, so I had clubs looking at me, but when I was 15, I played for England schoolboys. So mm. I was in England international at 15. Cool. And then every club in the country wanted to sign me, uh, get me on their books, um, Liverpool and Aston Villa and uh, Tottenham and Arsenal. I ended up signing for um, QPR at 16. So I left school at 16 and I signed a professional contract for them. Uh, and they were in the top tier. It's not called the Premier League, then it was just called Division One. Yeah. And the manager they had was Terry Venables, who went on to manage Barcelona and, and uh, England and, uh, and Tottenham. And uh, Terry, and we had a plastic pitch, AstroTurf pitch. It was the only one, the first one in the top flight of English football. Um, so you, it taught you had to be technically good, very sound control and passing had to be really good. Um, and so at 16, then I kind of fulfilled the schoolboy dream and signed my first contract. But then obviously realised that's, that's when the work begins, really, because it's not just about getting there lots of obviously it's a battle to get there but the, the key is to stay there and make a, a full career of it so mm -hmm. that's how it came about at what moment like within that did you first realize that you had a chance like what what age was it where you were like mm -hmm. oh yeah i can play in the premiership yeah i think um i think it was probably around when i was probably about 14 15 you know when you get to that level i was at England schoolboy mm. uh, and even when I look back at my squad that I played at England schoolboy with there was only a handful that actually went on to have full careers and maybe only three of us that had top careers in the top flight of English football so but even then you know I think it was evident then that yeah it was a good chance that I could make it mm -hmm. um, but as I as I say Mitch you know it's I've seen lots of uh you know, young guys sign that first two or three year contract and never get beyond it. You know, they yeah. fall away. They haven't got the character to kind of persevere. You're in a man's world from school into the, into the dressing room. It's a hard, hard profession. It, um, you know, they take no prisoners. And so, yeah, realized at about 15, but at the same time, there was a sort of second realization that this ain't going to be easy. Well, like, what do you think some of those things were uh, that separated you and a couple of those other players to making a full successful career and then those who kind of dropped off? What were some of the differences? 
Yeah, I think um, I think staying clear of injuries mm-hmm. was, was, you know, blessed to be, you know, didn't have t- too many injuries, so fitness. Um, and then I think it was a matter of, um, of of dedication and perseverance, you know, uh, to be single-minded about what you're going to do uh, and then put the hard work in again, uh, even when you're getting the hard knocks. Mm. That's what the combination of hard work and hard, hard knock is, is persevering. Um, so I had a, I had a good mindset and I was, you know, I knew my goal, single minded, and then I was ready to put in the hard work, even though I was getting the hard knocks <laughs> and, uh, and those things combined then probably, set me apart from some others that fell away because top athletes will always tell you, you know, it's, uh, it's 10% talent and it's 90% sweat and hard work. Yeah. Um, and, and being able to come through that. Uh, I would say one other thing that, you know, I'd include in that is the ability to handle pressure. Mm. Um, you know, you, you get the training ground superstars that can score the great goals in practice. But when they get in front of the crowd, uh, then they fall to pieces. So, you know, you have to be able to handle the pressure of the crowd, the criticism of the crowd, the criticism of the press, the criticism of the dressing room. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it seems a great, glorious career when you watch players on the Premier League and it's all going well. but, But behind the scenes, the pressure that's on players is absolutely huge and obviously the bigger player you are the higher level you are the higher the the pressure and critique is yeah i can't even imagine actually what some of those guys must go through in today's world too where social media plays (laughs) such a big part in that like even more you can Mm. see everything that everybody says um Mm. so what's your viewpoint on chasing dreams versus kind of like what I hear a lot of today, so I have a couple small businesses and I've kind of chased my dream of videography, filmmaking, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I hear a lot of friction between parents, kind of the realism of get a nine to five job versus chasing your dream of becoming a professional athlete or videographer, small business, whatever. Um, what kind of viewpoint do you have on chasing your dreams versus the realism? I think you need a combination. I think you need to dream. You need to have ambition. And I think it's it's great to let young kids explore and to give give your kids um, to, to give your kids uh, a, a feeling that you know they could achieve things if they put in the right work. But at the same time, so I, I remember my father saying to me once, you know, I think within reason you could do most things you set your mind to. Um, but of course, you know, I was never going to be a rocket scientist. Yep. You know, I didn't have the capacities for that. And he knew that. So there's certain limits. But at the same time, you know, there were a, a number of things that I could have achieved with the mindset that I had and the particular physicality and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, so I think you need to kind of recognize uh, for your kids what they have. And then that uh, and then the person themselves needs to recognize that. that and then recognize potential limitations at the same time I'm, I'm always wanting to kind of people to be able to push through those limitations and push through the boundaries i think it gets to a stage though where 
you have to say, is this going to allow me to have a living, to provide, put a roof over my head if I'm a married man, to provide for my wife and, and children? And if it's not, I've got to set aside that dream. Mm -hmm. It's no good me just being a dreamer, you know, being a professional golfer, but it's not, I, I can't make it and I can't make money or anything like that. But oh, I've got to pursue the dream. Everyone else is going to suffer and it actually becomes selfish. Yeah. Um, so there's a period, I think, of your life as well where you can push for those things. Um, and then you've got to realize, well, is this going to happen? If it's not, I need to kind of um, think again and just tweak the dream mm. to be something else. And, that, and that's why I think as a Christian, because you do have that big view of God and God's care for you and, uh, and what you were made for, you can, your, your ultimate um, satisfaction doesn't lie in your career. Hmm. or in your dream of you know whatever you want to be it lies in in god and uh and pleasing him and so therefore whatever you do in the end you can take us under the hand of god and um and you can do it to the best of your ability and, and have a satisfying life uh you actually you said something previously in there too um self-awareness like how hmm. in your industry did that so and i'm going to talk specifically more about the soccer part of it leading up into the prem how did self-awareness play a part in knowing your strengths your weaknesses separating yourself from other people and within that did you focus more on just hitting your strengths and going hard in your strengths yeah. or did you work on your weaknesses combined with your strengths what was there a healthy balance or was it kind of all in on one yeah. Um, so early on, as I was a young professional, I, I kind of very, very early on sort of had to make a decision. What am I going to be here? I could I was a midfield player, but I could play a, a striker as well. Mm. Um, but I wanted to be central. And then because I was fairly small, they were pushing me out into wide positions. Um, and even when I made my first team debut for QPR, I was playing on that wide in midfield. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be central in the middle of midfield or just off of the striker going forward to create or score goals. That's what I thought was my strength. Um, when I played out wide in midfield on the left or the right, I could do a job um, quite well, but I knew I wouldn't, I wouldn't hit the heights that I think, thought I could do. Um, so, so that was key knowing myself and knowing what I want type of midfielder stroke, stroke striker I wanted to be. Um, and that's why I, I made a decision to actually leave Queen's Park Rangers and drop down to Gillingham. You mentioned that club for yeah. a, a year or so to actually develop my game in the lower tier, but to play lots of games in the set in that sort of central, uh, midfield. And, um, and by doing that, then I actually became that central midfielder that could get goals. And then that just sort of escalated. Then everyone, you know, knew the type of player I was. So my, my self-awareness uh, at a fairly young age uh, w was key then in uh, how I developed into that midfielder that could score goals or a number 10, yeah. they, would, they would say. Was there another part to your question there that you wanted me to well, expand just, on? Well, just um, so for example, in some of the, the business world, mm. you'll hear people talk about how they they chose to completely ignore their weaknesses and just go oh, all yeah. in we, on their strengths. Yeah. And that's just kind of what yeah. got them to where they were. And then there's yeah. people who talk about 
I worked on yeah. both and that's where it got me to where I was. Yeah. I worked more on my strengths yep. than my weaknesses at the same time. I, um, uh, so for instance, you know, I had this attacking creative thing, but I needed, I knew I needed to defend at times. So, so I paid some attention to that and improving in those areas. And I think I, I did as time went on, but I had to excel at the things that I was really good at. Mm -hmm. So I practiced my finishing, scoring, shooting, 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 spent hours and hours. And I did right foot and left foot so that I was always in balance. It didn't matter what foot it came to me on, you know, those kinds of things. Yep. So if you think, you think about it, some people favor a particular foot, their right foot, your right foot is, and they'll just work on their right foot. Well, I actually worked on both feet. So I worked on my weaknesses, even in the area of my strengths, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. My strengths were scoring and creating, but I didn't just score with my right foot. I worked on my left foot as well. So I, I look back on my career and see the amount of goals I got with my left foot, or even my head. I scored a lot with my head, even though I wasn't a big guy that was great at heading the ball in other areas of the field. I think you need to sort of what makes you outstanding. Talk about Beckham, like David Beckham, he spent hours and hours on those free kicks and yep. crossing. He, he didn't spend those hours on chasing back and defending or making tackles or he heading the ball, you yeah. know? The, he played it on his strength. So I think that's something to remember. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what role did accountability for you come into play, um, both like as a kid and then as you made it into the prem, uh, <clears throat> what, so like for, for myself, I never had to be told to go practice soccer outside because that was just what I loved. Um, like, were you the same way? And then as you got into the Prem, what things did people need to keep you accountable on? Yeah, so I had a, I was always quite self-driven, self-motivated. I had a good example in my dad. Uh, but like I would remember going out at age 9, 10, doing my own training sessions outside. I come home from school when I was 13, 14 and get my running shoes on, run around the block, you know, three, four, five times then do my homework. When other uh, contemporaries were going down the pub, I was, you know, hitting the gym, those kinds of things. So I had that. And then when I, uh, so that was built into me. Mm. So, so then in terms of when I became a pro, it was just then a case of uh, looking to a few of the older professionals uh, uh, that would, had actually made it in the game. Uh, and, you know, one or two of those took me under their wing and sort of mentored me a little bit. And uh, then I always had my dad as well. Um, so I had, you know, two or three, always two or three good mentors around. And they could keep my, my head right. And if they thought I was, you know, heading and doing something wrong on the field or off the field, they could tweak me. So it's important to have other people around you for sure. Uh, no man's an island and yeah. you need that help and accountability. Um, so we only have time for a couple more questions here. So I want to try to squeeze a couple more in here. Yeah. Um, what's something that you wish you knew in the beginning of your career and what you would probably tell other young, well, we'll say professional athletes for now, people who are trying to get into that realm. What's something you would try to tell them right off the bat? Um, I, I, Young, young professional athletes or young people that want to be a professional athlete? Uh, probably want to be. Want to be. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, you want to be a professional athlete. You've got to realize, number one, uh, 
the likelihood of that is, is small. Yep. Um, number two, that you need certain ingredients, you know, um, in there. You've got to have some modicum of talent. Uh, and number three, uh, you need to be ready to go the extra mile mm. and further with regards to hard work, dedication, and listening to your parents and, and, and your coaches. Um, and if, you're, if you've got those kind of that right perspective, um, you know, if you realize that, you, you know, you, 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 you've got a modicum of talent there that, you know, has been recognized by a number of people in the field uh, and you're ready to do the hard work and the listening and go the extra mile, uh, those things then would set you up for a, a reasonable chance of, of making mm. it. Yeah. Um, and then I, I would say that if you, once you've got into the, you know, as an apprentice professional, uh, before I left QPR, when I was retiring, I went to speak to the youth team, the 18 year olds. And I said, look, you have an elite, you're in an elite profession here and you have a chance that people dream about you know, two years to kind of be a professional club to make it, you know, do all you can then in that time to be the best that you can be. And then you won't have any regrets, even if for whatever reason you didn't make it. Absolutely. Um, so there's making it and then there's making it uh, yep. once you've got there. So Yeah. And that's a big part of actually something that I've been chatting with some people about is in the respective industries, everybody wants to be the, you know, the number one, which is maybe playing in the prem or if you're into cooking, trying to be the next Gordon Ramsay, et cetera. But um, based off of your skill sets, esteem, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's interesting with the internet in today's world, how accessible it is to be in that industry, but you don't have to be the quote unquote number one the Gordon Ramsay, the whatever, you might enjoy the marketing side of it. You might enjoy the, yeah. you know, there's so many different avenues in each industry now. It's uh, it's incredible what you can make a career out of. Mm -hmm. um, so before you go here, is there anything that you would like to plug, whether that's social media stuff, things that you're doing right now, if you're writing a book, I don't know what you're up to at all. So is there anything that you want to plug? Well, I, I have just written... Um, my book, my uh, biography, autobiography, awesome. um, is called A Greater Glory. Okay. Uh, from Pitch to Pulpit. And uh, yeah, it is my uh, life story. And I tell it from the beginning to, to where I am now. And it's unusual, you know, A Greater Glory. Obviously, there's a greater glory in life than football, fame, and fortune. And yet, I talk about all of my clubs I played for, the managers I played for, the stories of the dressing room. and and yet we've, uh, how my faith uh, is uh, paramount in all of it. Um, so I believe that it's a story that anyone could read. It's human interest stuff. I talk about the family and suffering and disability and mental health issues, all of these kinds of things, all with the, uh, against the background of, um, of, of, of football and, cool. and, and faith. Uh, a Greater Glory is, is, is uh, being published by Christian Focus. And it's going to be coming out around about um, uh, around about May time. Okay. But you could keep in touch with that on my Twitter feed, which is uh, at gpeacock8. gpeacock8. Perfect. Okay. And then, so where will that book actually be available? It'll be available on Amazon. 
present. Amazon, uh, okay, perfect. Yeah, so I've just been getting, you know, this this time over the last year, I've been able to get it out to quite a few endorsers and uh, I've had endorsements back from Glenn Hoddle and uh, David Moyes and yeah. uh, Ro- Robbie Fowler. No uh, way. Played, yeah, so quite a few big names and, and other names in spheres of different spheres of life have read it. So um, it, it's, it's been encouraging that all these people have, have read the book and found it quite uh, quite different as well. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that it will uh, it will be enjoyable for, for lots of different people. Very cool. And I'll uh, have to look out for that when it comes out. Yeah, that'd be great. Very neat. Uh, last question then, because I know you got to go here. Um, what is in your career something that has been a perceived failure and what did you take away from that? What was the big learning lesson that uh, pushed you forward? Um, well, I suppose you could say a, f- a failure or a, or a setback even. I was 18 at Queen's Park Rangers and I got uh, sick. I got glandular fever um, and I was out. I was out for about three or four months. And it's uh, you're a young professional then. I was trying to make it and it was like, this is not going to go well because all the other guys are gaining ground. And so I couldn't even run around the pitch once. So I thought, oh, this, what can I do? I, I thought, well, I can't run. I'm going to start to try and build up my body. So I, I devised a little weights program. Uh, I was painted up my garage at home and uh, I had posters of Rocky, <laughs> Rocky Balboa on my wall. I was listening to 1980s. This is listening to Journey on my, uh, on my little stereo. And I worked hard on my, just my strength. And I came back after that time out and all of a sudden I was half a pace faster. I could hold players off with this extra strength. And so I turned that sort of negative into a positive um, and did what I could do with the limits that, you know, I had in that time. And I think that's a, that's a good lesson for people. Yeah. Something hits a negative or maybe it is, you know, you, you have failed on the field. You've relegated or whatever. You've got to think, right, okay, I'm here now. How can I, what can I do now to make this uh, into a success so that the, you know, the, the knockback actually works to propel you forward? Um, and that's what good, good players and athletes and successful people in life um, can, can do. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to reading that book at some point too. That's awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mitch.